only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Praise God for the gift of music. <clears throat> the scripture for today is found in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to be reading verses 19 through 25. That's found on page 1. 1007 in the Blue Bible. Um, in this passage, uh, God is described as he who, is, he who promised is faithful. So hear the words of our God who is faithful to his promise. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Word of God. Now let us pray together. Lord, we come to your Word asking for your grace, expectant that the God who puts his fear in our hearts, the God who puts the law in our hearts in the new covenant, the God who gives us his word, the God who longs to reveal himself to his people, that you will bless us, Lord, with your word at this time. We rest in you, Lord, in your purposes to do your people good. And we know that central to that purpose of doing us good is to fix us on your word, to enable us to believe it and rejoice in it, for us to believe in you, Lord, as a result of your promise. As Peter says, that we would partake of the divine nature through your precious and great promises. Lord, we remember our, our sister Cynthia thanking you, O oh Lord, for the recovery that has occurred so far this week that has truly amazed doctors and nurses and us. Lord, we praise you for the good that you've done for her. We praise you as it is more and more apparent of what those two ladies did at the school to literally save her life. Lord, we are in awe of your providence that put her in that particular place at that particular time. 
O Lord, we worship you. We worship you for your goodness and grace. We acknowledge that all things come from you. Everything that has been done for her at the school, to the hospital, in the hospital, things medical, things simply out of kindness and love to her and to the family, from this body and friends and the people on staff there, all ultimately comes from your hand. We honor you, Lord God. We honor you for your glorious providence that has brought such good. And we continue to pray, O Lord, that you would heal her and bring her to full restoration by your grace. Lord, bless us. Again, we pray with your word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to this word together as your people. Amen. I get kidded a lot by the session for the lengthy time I preached on love when I first got here. Um, It's kind of a running joke uh, among the session members, but all good-natured and and kindly meant. Um, And I think uh, we feel like God's Word has had some effect in our lives in that regard. It is sad that generally, many times in history, the church seems to be focused either on worship or love, and many times the lack of one or the other can show that neither is really there. In other words, there may be a huge concern in the church for worship and its detail, doctrine and its detail, but a church that seems largely oblivious or minimally concerned about even one another or others. And it's not as though we would say, well, that church at least worships good, but its love is not very apparent. As we'll see, God would say, such worship, if it truly is that, if there is a supposed worship without love, it is no worship whatsoever. But on the other hand, if a church is given to outward good deeds and and focused constantly on the people around them, and yet they despise God's word as it's been given, they do not regard him, his revelation as coming from him, they have no true concern for the true revelation of God and they turn it into something other, make up a different God, whatever, we would say... In terms of God's uh, eyes, such love is not true Christian love because it does not come from God himself. Let me just read uh, a passage that speaks to both of these issues and then we'll be right back in Hebrews. This is 1 John chapter 5. If you want to read it yourself in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1023. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And notice this, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Everyone. So if we're not loving those who've been born of Him, for instance, if someone says, 
I love God, but they absent themselves constantly from the church, or they say, I don't need the body of Christ. I have my own religion and my own way of approaching God, but I love Him with all of my heart. John would say, no, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. That is why in our confession, the first three verses focus on our relationship with God and the last two verses focus on our relationship with His people. We don't think those are two confessions. We think it's one confession. One confession that I do indeed trust in this God. And right along with it must be said, and I'm committed to His people. Without the second, there is no former. If I'm not committed to His people, it's questionable. Perhaps I'm ignorant, perhaps, but it's questionable whether I'm committed to God. Because everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. But then notice in the next verse... By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So it works the other way. How do I know that I really do love the children of God if I love God and obey His commandments? I can't say, oh, I'm just all about loving people, but don't bother me with God's Word and His commandments and all that stuff. I'm just into the the love that I have for people. All that doctrine and theology and Bible and all that. I don't need that. I just love people. No, that's not love. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Now that introduces the interaction of worship and love. It's a constant union, interdependence, and interaction which is my first point, and we're back to Hebrews. So, worship and love are always united. They're always flowing into one another. And even though we, we would say in one sense, it, I mean, certainly it's, it's right there in John, we love because He first loved us, we're also going to see that because of our love for one another, we grow in love for God. So, There's an interdependence even in our love to God and our love to one another. Each one flows into the other. They're constantly uh, interacting with one another. They're both present or neither is present. So the same joy that we find in Him becomes our joy in loving other people always. It's a great test for us in both directions, isn't it? It's a, it's a wonderful thing to see this wonderful unity of worship and love. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, page 1007, it's remarkable that in this passage that speaks most intimately about our approach to God, in, in one of the most intimate passages, speaking of our being brought into the presence of God, And it's interesting because this whole letter is written to people who were in danger of apostatizing, of turning away from Christ. And what he does throughout the whole of this, and these were Jewish people, and what he does to these Jews who had been converted to Christ, or largely Jewish, is he keeps holding before them Christ, Christ, Christ. And it's interesting that 
at this point, as a kind of apex and climax of so much that he has said, he focuses on the fact that we have access to God through him. So our being able to stand strong in affliction, which was their problem, they were being afflicted terribly, and at one point in their lives had stood up well, but now we're, it looks like many of them are, going, are falling away and not confessing Christ anymore. He goes for the intimacy that they have with Christ. So your ability, your strength, your determination and motivation to resist persecution, resist turning away from Christ when others oppose you, or turning away from Christ because of tragedy, whatever it might be, it is strengthened primarily by your understanding of the intimacy that you have with God. It's not just bucking up and staying courageous and tough and hanging in there. Here with these people in danger of apostasy, he's saying, so let's keep our confidence in the presence of God. That's our stability. That's our anchor. That hope of this glorious fellowship that we have with him. So in that context, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places through Christ. And since we have this great high priest, and he's spoken so much about him or written so much about him up to this point, verse 22, after saying we have confidence to enter, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. And here's the intimacy. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. Holding fast the confession. And right in the midst of talking about this, you would think it, it's like, well, don't, it, don't interrupt us with anything else. Don't get our minds off this wonderful thing. We're intimate with God. We're in His presence. And almost like you want to close your eyes and block anything and everybody out and just think about you and God. Sometimes worship is said to be that almost. You know, just, just don't worry about people around you. Don't think about anything or anybody else. It's just you and God. And right here you'd think that's where he would stay. Just the intimacy that you have. And right in the middle, in the same paragraph, in the same breath, so to speak, of talking about this hope and this intimacy, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It must be a vital outflow, a vital aspect of when you're in His presence and you have full assurance of acceptance and the glory there, what's the natural, immediate thing? We will encourage one another to love and good deeds. It's not an add-on and as though... We're going to talk about worship, and then later on we're going to... It's a, it's a part of being in His presence. And as you take verses 24 and 25, it makes the encouraging one another as seemingly the whole point of meeting together. Stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So, to come together for worship 
we do two things. We come to worship God and we come to embrace one another. And they both happen at the same time. And there's really no embrace of God unless the embrace is God and his people. God and his people. So as I'm intimate with God, and as you're intimate with God, we are immediately thinking, how can we stir one another up to love and good deeds? Provoke, the word is. Provoke by example, provoke by promises, provoke by presenting to one another the glory of God, the work of Jesus Christ, all of, all of the many means that we might have to provoke one another. But that's commanded for us as a part of our intimacy with God himself. Now will you turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 3, page 977. One more passage talking about the, the interaction, the union of love and worship. I've referred to this passage, but I, I want you to actually look at it. And This is, this is the counterpart to 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. That is true. Our, the love that we experience. He says we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And so trusting in that love, out from that flows love to others. But here we see it working the other way. In verse 16, he's, he's praying that According to the riches of His glory, in other words, according to the full capacity that God has, that He will grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those, it may be so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, or it may be a kind of restatement. In other words, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, they're, they're saying the same. The Spirit strengthening you in the inner man is Christ dwelling in your heart and exercising His authority and power in your life. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, and the commentators almost without fail say, this love is the love that we have for one another. Rooted and grounded in our love for one another may then have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Notice it's in union with the saints, rooted and grounded in love for the saints, experiencing the love from the saints and spending ourselves for the saints in that context of interactive love that then we may know what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So... It is not ultimately simply my going off by myself somewhere and finding out about God's love. It is not simply my own personal meditations. It is in interaction and in communion with experiencing the love of the body that I will know the love of God. It's really an amazing statement. Almost sounds wrong. You know, whoa, Paul, surely you don't mean this, that our love for one another is critical in our knowing the extent of the love of Christ and critical in our being filled up to all the fullness of God. And that's why I 
personally think that in addition to the word and prayer and the sacraments, that we should say fellowship is definitely a means of grace. It is a means of our experiencing God's mercy and love as we speak the gospel to one another, as we show and reveal the very love of God to one another. Many, many times, many times have I heard testimony of people to say, I got a new definition of the love of God by the way people cared for me. I just, I I saw his love in a whole different way because I saw it fleshed out in the people of God. That's glorious. It's glorious to think that we need each other in our pursuit of God. We need to speak the truth to each other and reveal the truth by our very love and and deeds, the, the very love of God to one another. All, of course, nourished by the fact that we love because He first loved us. It doesn't make His his love is still prior, but when that occurs and then we are interacting with one another, it all flows back to a deeper understanding of His love. So there's a wonderful circle here, kind of, you might say, a, a, a rising spiral, you know, of experiencing His love and one another's love and His love and one another's love. Of course, that spiral can go the other way, too, in a broken fellowship. But praise God what it can do for us if we trust Him. So, in this general context of the union and interdependence, let me just say a few words about two aspects of this. One that maybe we don't think about enough. Loving one another in the act of worship. Okay? Loving one another in the act of worship. It is okay, and I'll give you this illustration again. I had shared it some time back, but I was at General Assembly and a fellow who ministers in Pakistan was teaching a seminar. And he began by saying, let us pray. And he was looking at us. You know, we're like, You know, I can't really look at you and pray, dude. You know, I got to close my eyes and pray. And he said, no, I want everyone to look up at me. I want you to lift hands with me. Let's look at each other. And he he began to talk about how bowing your head in their culture means shame. And it, it it would mean that you're ashamed before God. And he says, we are not ashamed. He has forgiven us. And he then talked about how Our love for one another needs to be expressed as we look to each other. We're praying to God, but we're looking at each other. And I promise, it was hard to concentrate. You know, it'd really be hard to concentrate. No, I'm just kidding. But but it it was hard to concentrate with my eyes open. But it taught me something. Why do I think I've got to shut everybody else out to think about God? Where'd that come from? Where does it say close your eyes? Does it? I'm not saying, you know, I know you're all teaching your kids and they're like looking up at you and say, oh, pastor said, you know, <laughs> tell me where you see some diligent kid. Tell me where in the Bible. <clears throat> like he was really concerned about it, you know. But it's to, to drive home the point that it's, it's the point of the Lord's Prayer. He taught us 
to pray, not my Father, our Father. See, there's, a, there's an immediate embrace. There's a recognition. We are His children. We are in a family. We are the redeemed and the chosen, the beloved together. We are offering our prayer. And we're locked in arms. We're, our arms are around each other's shoulders, so to speak, as we come before him and offer our prayer. It's a glorious thing. And the, the reason that's so important to God is that, and I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but to see the reflection of the Trinitarian fellowship in the body of Christ. And, and that, I think, is a chief part of the glory of the temple. We are the new temple the tabernacle and the temple shone forth the glory of God. What is the glory that shines forth? Well, it is our individual character, but that is always our, our character as it is interacting with others in relationship. The glory of our relationships. Is it that what he said in John 13? They will know that you're disciples by your love. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how they'll know that you're mine. This is the glory that will shine forth and show you're the real thing. Christ says this in John 17, make them one so that the world will know that you did send me. The glory of seeing the Trinitarian fellowship. That's what he prays for in John 17. So you see how our worship of the God who is in fellowship... How can it be anything but expressing, reflecting the glory of that relationship? And that's why Jesus prays for it in John 17. Make them one as we are one. You love me before the foundation of the world. Show them that love. Bring them into that same love. And so... Our worship, obviously our praise to God shining forth in the world, it must be in fellowship. It has to be. So let's not lose that in worship, but let's embrace it in worship. Let's be mindful of one another in worship. Let's love each other in the act of worship. That's why we, uh, it was so good that we began with Colossians chapter 3 in, in your bulletin. You can... Turn in in your bulletin to the opening reading. How interesting this reads, and this is verse 16 in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And Ephesians has the same emphasis. And there it says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Almost sounds blasphemous to us. Addressing one another with these hymns and songs. You see, as we're singing glorious praises to God, we're singing and encouraging and admonishing one another. Believe Him. Worship Him. Hear me sing to His glory. Join me in singing to His glory. You see, we never, never should be unmindful of one another. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together, we say. That's the cry of the Psalms. 
And I tell you, it is so glorious to think. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And in Hebrews 2, this is said to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's The writer of Hebrews sets it forth as the reason he is not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed of us as his people. You'd think he would be. Look at this crummy lot I ended up with, you know. Just what in the world? He's not ashamed. We may be ashamed at times. He's not ashamed of his people. And the text that the writer in Hebrews uses is Psalm 22. That play, it's, it's stressing his humanity that Jesus Christ in his humanity is in the midst of his people saying, I will be in the midst of the assembly and I will praise God with my brothers in Christ. How glorious. <laughs> if Jesus is here in a sense... You see, if he is not ashamed to call you brethren and would join his arms around you and say, let us praise our God, praise this God as the righteous man, as the fulfillment of the righteous man who joins himself with the people of God to praise God, then certainly we should come with that attitude. And we're free to come with that attitude to embrace one another. I think I'm going to call it there um, and just leave that with you of the interaction there. I'll talk some uh, about how we, our worship must flow out in uh, worship, in love to others to such an extent that in the Old Testament when the people of God were ignoring and, and abusing uh, people uh, he would say, and they're still worshiping, still worshiping. He would actually say things like this in Isaiah 58. Isn't this the fast I require? And the fast is described in terms of love and mercy. The fast, the act of work. In other words, I don't want fasting. I don't want a sacrifice given up to me if it's not showing itself in love. Isn't this the sacrifice I desire, the fast that I desire, that you spend yourselves in love for one another? It's a way. Of course he loves sacrifice. Of course when people, uh, godly people, give themselves up to fast to seek his faith. It's not that he's opposed to those things. But it shows how empty, how pointless they are if these are not joined if they don't flow into a part of a life of love for others. So, James can say, this is religion. And this word religion is used many times to just say worship, okay? This is worship. This is religion. This is dedication. This is belonging to God. What is it? He says in verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so, as we'll see some more of this, just to touch on it, that not only do we love each other in the act of worship, but worship naturally always means that we will be spending ourselves because of worship 
for each other and in union with worship. If you are visiting and you would have to say, you know, I don't know about my relationship to God. I don't know if I belong to Him. I, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I, I, don't, I really don't know about that. But I, I would say to you, the whole of the Christian life, the whole of what we talk about is bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that He is none other than God the Son who came to earth to take on humanity, to become a man so that He would live a perfect life that none of us have lived, that His perfected life would issue in even sacrificing Himself for His people, even dying for their sins, even bearing the wrath of God for us, that the Father and the Son decided that they would rescue us. Even though we turned our backs against them, they would rescue us by sacrificing for us. It's like the writer Isaiah says, who's ever heard of a God like this? A God who sacrifices for his subjects? A king who lays down his life for his people? That's the king that we offer to you. That's the king we urge to you. A king that transforms your life. A king that can bring you to experience forgiveness. A clean conscience. To have hope in every day of your life. And to have hope when you die. A glorious hope when you die. We struggled this past week when our secretary, Cynthia, um, collapsed. We struggled. We prayed so earnestly. You know we prayed last Sunday earnestly as a congregation. We were never in doubt that if she passed, that she wouldn't be immediately in the presence of Jesus. Do you have that confidence? Do you trust in Christ alone for everything in life? We urge you, don't wait another day. Believe in Him. Let us pray. Lord, You call us to such a glorious life, a life of awe and admiration, a life of being astonished with God, astonished at your creation, astonished at the way your your providence in our lives and in history, astonished at your salvation, astonished at what you will bring to us in the final day. Oh, Lord, thank you that you bring us into awe, the the awe we were meant for, the awe of God Himself. And then all things connected to that, our enjoyment of anything in life connected to You, in fellowship with You, in awe of You as we enjoy the things of this life. And Lord, thank You that Your rescue does what Paul says, that we would know He died so we would no longer live for ourselves but for Him. And when we begin to live for this One who loved us, then we begin to love in the same way. Lord, thank You that You set us free from our black hole of self that is just crushing within, imploding. And You set us free by Your grace to be in some way fountains of living water in this world. Lord, if any here do not trust you, have not put their lives in your hand, oh, draw them now. 
Draw them now. Open up their hearts that may, they may trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Jesus Christ as their rescuer from sin. We ask this for your glory and honor. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away